Salam, and welcome everyone to Conversations with Brother Doug Saunders. A native of New Zealand, he came to hear about Sai Baba in 1987 through his wife Siglinda. In 1993, he made his way to Purbanti and his life has never been the same again. So, welcome Doug Saunders. Thank you, Ashok, and um, a very good afternoon to you, sir. Let us begin this conversation by you telling us a little bit about yourself, providing context to your life before you came across Sai Baba. Yes, I um, early part of my life, I joined the New Zealand Air Force when I was young as a cadet, did eight years, uh, finished there and then when I was 24, moved into sales and marketing for a few years, went to the UK seven years, came back with my wife, Sibrinda, who was working in, in Munich, and I met her on a Greek island, would you believe, very romantic. We got married back in New Zealand, uh, and then we spent, I spent some years sales and marketing uh, again, and then we decided we bought a small printing company in Auckland, which we had for 20-odd years. And then in 2010, we had decided to come and live in Australia. And in the meantime, um, I had met Saibaba through my wife and had got fully involved in the organisation and uh, various projects and uh, started way back in 1987 when my wife first got to know about Swami. And uh, I went for my first trip in 1993 during Dasa, would you believe, and I never knew anything about Indian um, uh, programs and it was just beautiful and Swami never looked at me spoke to me until the last day when he went down to the wheel where the boys used to sit in wheelchairs in the old days under the trees. Um, and uh, he went down there and there was a gap of about two wide where I was sitting all the way along to where Swami was. And he stopped, looked, and he gave me the most beautiful smile. And that's, I got hooked. That was it. I said, this is it. <laughs> and life has never been the same again. Are you all right? <laughs> 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 could, could I ask you, before you came to hear about Sai Baba in 1987, were you and your wife particularly religious or particularly uh, spiritual? No, not really. We, uh, my wife was brought up as a pretty strict Catholic when she was young because she lived in Austria and they're a Catholic country. I was brought up as a, a Baptist Christian by my mother, and but I never carried on. We never went to church on Sundays. We used to go to uh, Christmas uh, mass on uh, you know, on the Friday night, which we used to do every year, but otherwise than that, no other church. But my wife has always been interested in spiritual programs and spiritual people, and she got stuck into a lot of books on some of these wonderful Indian wise men, and that's how she started learning more about the Indian philosophies and things. So when she found out about Swami, that was it. <laughs> And what 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 was her experience when she first came across Swami? Um, she came across Swami through going to yoga lessons in a, a small community centre near where we lived in Auckland. And Mr. Hari, a beautiful elderly gentleman from India, used to run them. And she spotted a pendant around his neck in gold. And she said, what's that? And he took it off and showed him. And he said, that's a Krishna pendant, my guru. Satya Sai Baba gave it to me in India. My wife's ears pricked up and said, oh, is there a live guru? He said, it's not just a guru. He said, this is God. And he told her about an open Sinai that was happening in Auckland 
uh, put on by the new organisation, which was in its youth in those days. So she went along. They played a video of Swami giving Darshan, and her first thought were, was, this is it. He is here. And from then on, she was hooked. And unfortunately, she tried to hook me. <laughs> or fortunately. <laughs> and you were not welcoming to the overtures, resistant to learning about this Indian guru? At the time, no. And um, I was pretty successful in keeping it under wraps for about um, six years. And then my wife did her first trip to see Satchasai Baba, and she went with Auntie Padma, a lovely uh, lady that had come with her husband, Nuru, and uh, her son, Sri, from Sri Lanka, getting away from the troubles. She was a devotee. And they went and drove up to Kodai Canal for three weeks. That was her first trip in 1993. And she came back absolutely over the moon about Baba and his wonderful talks and his wonderful philosophies. And from there on in, she was into all the books she could get and um, badgering me. But, uh, so I managed to put it off for a few months. And finally, I said, look, either I've got to join it or beat it. So I said, I'll go. We'll go together. And let's try it for October this year, 1993, which we did. We got there. And we had a wonderful time. That was it. I was hooked. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I was hooked. <laughs> um, and there was, you were telling us a short while ago about that short interlude with Swami and Darshan. Tell us a little bit about that and what it meant to you. Well, he hadn't spoken to me the whole three weeks we were there. There was a week of Dasara where we was doing the gems and things. Zidi used to go into the Puma Chandra for that, but I didn't. And the last week was Darshan again. And he used to come out of the ladies and come around in front of the gates where some of the staff used to sit in those days when it wasn't fully concreted. And then he'd walk right around the front, then he'd head off down to where a couple of older students were sitting in wheelchairs. And a gap opened up between me about 10 rows back and where Swami was walking down. And I thought, oh, I can see him beautifully. So I just looked at him and I smiled. I was just so thrilled that he was in the flesh in a way, not so far away. And he just stopped. He looked at me and he gave me the most beautiful smile and inside just melted. And I said, this is it. I'll be back. <laughs> and you went back often afterwards? Yes, we uh, went to Whitefield the next year uh, in 94 and then back to Whitefield 95. And then from there on in, we went to Shanti twice a year right up until 2007. I used to go in February to get away from the crowds. And then forced to get away from Guruponina. Oh, it was a lot of visits, and it uh, it was tough for me at the time, but it was good for us both. And uh, I met, got to know Professor Van Carter Raman very well. He came to New Zealand in 1995 as a guest speaker. He knew I was in the printing game, and straight away bailed me up. And we, over the next few years, we organised three books for him. We did the Pocket Gita, a little beautiful little coloured book on the Gita, and then we did Message of the Lord, which we called a doorstop, <laughs> 700 pages, <laughs> and then I, we, the final one was uh, the first big four-colour book of Swami called Love All Serval, which we, um, I got organised to get all the printing done in Singapore, and I uh, had all the planning done, the layout done, typesetting done uh, in Auckland. 
from New Zealand. So we spent a good year and a half on that. But it was just a beautiful exercise. So there seems to have been a lot of physical interaction through the visits and at the same time, the work through the publishing work and your exposure to the teachings. Tell us what sort of impression that all of that was making on Doug Saunders. What sort of changes um, were coming over Doug Saunders? Well, they, they, some of them came over very quickly. My first visit in 93, I was a heavy smoker, so I had taken all these packets of tobacco because I used to do roll-ups to save money, packets of uh, filter paper, packets of filters and a couple of cigarette lighters, but we were given uh, a, bit, a room in the round building three and I said to my wife, oh, I'll have a cigarette in here, no one knows. And she went out the door the first night to go and visit someone in the next room who she knew and uh, there was a sign on the door, uh, no alcohol, no meat eating, no drugs, no smoking. And I thought, well, who's going to know here? But then I thought, well, someone will. So I rolled up the cigarette and put it on the windowsill. And next morning at my first dash, and I put it in my pocket with my cigarette lighter, because those days they didn't check your pockets. And I thought, as soon as I get outside, I'll have a cigarette. And I couldn't wait till dash and was finished. And I went outside, leant against the wall out by the gates. And as soon as I got my cigarette out of my pocket and my lighter, I was attacked by four young, uh, starving, they looked like starving young ladies with babies calling out to saris and baby food and God knows what. And I said, oh, gosh, threw the cigarette down, went inside, never smoked again. That was it. And your interactions with Swami, the teachings, what else was that doing to you? The teachings, I started to read some of these books I found. Some of them were really good. Um, and I thought, well, I loved his teachings where he taught about, uh, just like Jesus, treating others the same as you would like them to treat you. Um, being patient. I learned a lot of patience. I used to get very impatient when I was young. And I started to think about Swami's words that really stood out, which was patience, purity, and perseverance. And... Um, this helped me a lot through a lot of the things. And from there on in, we were having some tough times with the printing company over the years, but um, I just used to think of Swami and he became stronger and stronger inside. And my wife and I used to sit and meditate in prayer every night for half an hour, which really helped, seven nights a week. And uh, that made a big difference as well. And you eventually got involved in the organisation, right? Yes, I uh, used to play the guitar when I was young and I took it up again and I got asked to go to the budgeons at CD went. So I went along with the guitar one day and they said, oh, can you play with us? We've only got some young people here that don't know the chords that well. So I did. Then they asked me to go to budget practice. I could learn some English ones, which I did. And then I learned a couple of Sanskrit ones, which I loved. And so I used to be a regular budget singer and guitar player for many years at the um, Mount Eden Centre in Auckland, which is one of the biggest centres. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I used to look forward to it every Thursday night. So kind of a, a, weekly, a weekly special, as you could say. It was lovely. And eventually you got involved with the Christmas celebrations in Puraburki. Tell us about that. Hmm. 2007. I got asked um, by John Benner. He said, Doug, I need someone to help me uh, take on the Christmas programs. And I said, yeah, but I mean, I don't think I can take this on fully. 
He said, no, 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 you just help me and uh, bring your guitar. So I joined the Christmas choir as a guitarist and a singer with the choir. And that uh, went on from 2007, 2008, 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13 after Swami had left. And the last one was 2018. So it was a long time and it was a wonderful time. And the last time we sang in front of Swami, when Swami was still in his form, was Christmas 2010. And he was sitting in the chair about three or four or five meters, four meters away from us. The us guitarists were in the front row. And after we'd finished our program, the boys started singing budgeons. And Swami looked at us and uh, went like that with his hands as if he's playing the guitar, telling us to start playing the, the budgeons on the guitar. And of course, we couldn't find the chords, but it was so lovely the way he just picked it and told us to get into it. It was just lovely. And did you, all those Christmas celebrations, ever have any intimate moments with him? Any experiences you'd like to share with us? The, uh, 2001, um, my wife and I got an interview together, which was lovely. Um, 2002, he uh, told me I had a. I was sitting on the veranda. I got given the veranda seat in 2000, um, and I was told by Mr. Saha at the time, this is where you sit, which was out by the stairs, top of the stairs, which lead down to the the slate floor and we said the students sit on the stairs and you don't move and I said fair enough and uh and then Swami booted the people he had had in the interview room out early after 15 minutes and of course most of the people on the ground had left to go for breakfast and there was 10 of us left and we were sitting in two rows uh where the car used to sit when Swami wasn't walking and uh, so I moved in there, I asked permission. They said, yes, sit right at the back of the two rows. So I did. Swami came down and he was talking to everybody in the rows, taking letters, and he stopped on the other side of me and he looked at me and said, you have a heart problem. And I said, yes, Swami, I was just so happy he was talking to me. And he said, your heart is not pumping properly. I said, yes, Swami. I couldn't I didn't know what he was talking about. And he looked at the guy be sitting beside me who happened to be a doctor from California, and he said, this man has a heart problem. His heart is not pumping properly. And the young doctor looked at me and went, oh. And Swami looked at me and I went, yes, Swami. And he said, go inside. So I raced inside and there was uh, a specialist from Super Specialty Hospital there with a senior student. And Swami sent them into the little room and I was kneeling in the outside room and he just held my hand so tight and squeezed them so tight and said, do you have any pain? And I said, no, I'm not sure why. I don't know. No, I don't have pain, Swami. And he said, uh, okay, everything will be all right. He gave me some babuti and said, this is for your wife. Then he threw us all out. Sarah Pavan grabbed me and said, what was that about? And I said, oh, Swami says, I have a heart problem. He said, right, let's go. And he said, he took me to the super specialty hospital and, uh, that afternoon, the specialist dropped an envelope on my lap and said, nothing wrong with you. You can run up and down Mount Everett. I said, oh. And Sarah says, see, I told you. And uh, my wife said when I got home, bless his soul, Swami knew. Swami saw something and he's even taken it away or removed it. But nine years later, you won't believe this, nine years later in 2010, I got a GP to check me before we were leaving to come over to Australia. And she said, oh, you've got a heart murmur. And sent me off to see a heart specialist at Auckland Public Hospital. 
and they did an ECG and echo, and he said, you've got uh, severe aortic stenosis. Your aortic valve is narrowing. Normally, it's 20, 21 millimeters. It's down to seven. And he said, I'll look after you. And I said, well, look, we're leaving for Aussie in about two months. He said, well, get it done there. So he wrote a letter. We got over to Australia at the end of October, found the GP, he had a look, sent a whole lot of stuff down to the Prince Charles Hospital in Brisbane. And in June, after up and down a few trips and things, I had an open-heart surgery and a new valve put in. So Swami knew exactly that I had to stay in the organisation in New Zealand because I was chairman of the organisation at the time, or president, they call them now. Waited till I'd handed over to someone else in 2010 and then just had to kick in and get it fixed. So <laughs> it was a long session, but it was it was his grace. I, I see a picture behind you where you and Siglinda are with Swami. Tell us about that. How, how did that come about? That was 2004, um, after sports day, um, late middle late January, and Swami had taken me in by myself about a week before. And he said, Twice, how old am, how old are you? He said, How old am I? And I said, um, oh Swami, to me you don't look over twenty-one. And he went, ah, cha, and gave me a whack on the side of the face. And then he said, I am seventy-nine. And I said, Well, you still don't look over twenty-one again. So he gave me another whack. But then he he told me to hold my hands up, which I did like this, and I thought, ah, I'm going to get some rebooted. And he he did his beautiful circular motion and produced a diamond ring and popped it on my finger. And uh, But the way we spoke together was just lovely. He looked at me and laughed, and those beautiful brown eyes were sparkling. And it was as if he liked having the, the joking and the talking and the repartee, but with, no, but with respect and going back to the God and the Guru after that. And... Um, I had a lovely time with him for 15 minutes by myself in there, and then he called my wife and I in five days later, and that's where the photo was taken. He took us into the little room, my wife and I, and we each took a hand and brought him into the little room from the outer room, and he took his hands away and he said, I bless you, we touched our heads and said, long life, healthy life, happy life, I bless, I bless, I bless, and we never forget. And if things are a bit tough or we think we're going through some problems, we just think of those times. And um, he was just so beautiful in there that we'll never, ever forget it. He was, we had 15 minutes again with him alone in there, and he was just lovely. He was just so lovely. What is it that we as devotees should take away from our association with Satisai Baba? And I ask you that because you, you've been associated for a very long time as a very mature person, uh, close interactions with him, serving him, working for him. What do we take away as devotees from our awareness association with Sati Sai Baba? Oh, that's a good one, Ashok. Thank you. Um, I think we can take away from our association with him that he does love us. And he loves each and every one of us, not just a few or not just a group over there, someone over there. He loves each and every one of us. We can feel that. We seem to have this connection with him that it's very hard to explain to people that are not part of his organization or not part of his, 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 his kind of, I don't know, group around him. He, he, he doesn't 
put us into groups and, and, and talk against us. He just communicates with us beautifully when we want to, when we open up. But what I can take with me is his love. His compassion to me is one of the most strongest uh, feelings I've ever seen on him and his way of doing things. He, he, he just gets things done. I mean, he would put all politicians in the world to shame he can get things done without any arguments, without any fights. Well, maybe they are in the background, but he doesn't do that. I can take away from him that he's taught me how to respect all people, whatever they are, um, and to work with all people when we can, and to be helpful to people. Even if we can't serve people in a, in a way that we'd like to serve, we can just be nice to people. You can smile, and I think he's taught me to do that. And after April 2011, when he withdrew from the body, how was your experience with him any different, if at all? Not really, Ashok. I mean, my wife and I, as I said, we still um, meditate now for about 20 minutes each night before we go to bed. Uh, we do the Gayatri, and we... Uh, had quiet prayers with him and it's probably got a little stronger because when we were in Pushanti there was always this rushing around oh I hope he talks to me oh I hope he takes my letters I hope he smiles whereas when we're in the home we're kind of communicating more heart to heart that we feel and we feel as though he responds and it's it's been um wonderful to be quite honest, and since 2011, since he's been part of the form, um, probably got a little stronger for me and for my wife as we talk to him more quietly. You know, one of the thoughts I have about my relationship with him is that it's all about transformation, that knowing him makes us different. And if that's one thing that stands out in my association with him is this issue of transformation, what's the one thing that stands out for you over and above what you just said? Um, probably what you say is quite right, this transformation has, he transforms each and every one of us when we allow him to, I think. We have to allow him to do it, to open up, not resist. And he's made me more patient He's made me more caring. He's made me more loving, hopefully. He's made me more accepting of others, others' religions, others' beliefs. But he's also kept me on the straight and narrow. I mean, you know, we've had, I've had no temptation to drink, no temptation to commit to smoking, eating meat. It's just because I know he's there and he's keeping an eye on us and he's just, he just is. <laughs> Yes. I'll tell you one little story, Ashok. I had to go through radiation for my throat and neck earlier uh, this year in um, January and February. I had 35 days of radiation of the neck cancer, and they made a mask for me, uh, a plastic mask with holes in it. It's pretty tight fitting, and I thought, oh, I'm never going to put up with 35 sessions of this mask clamping me down to the table for 10 minutes. And then I visualized Swami in his orange robe and I, I used to chant in my mind the Gayatri and I had Swami looking at me in my mind, conducting me and chanting with me. And if I got it wrong, he would stop. He'd say, stop, go back. 
and I had to go back and start again. And I worked out that I could get three dietaries a minute, so nine dietaries was three minutes, uh, 30 dietaries, and the session was over. And it was, and it happened so quickly. And after that, everything was fine. And it was him. So he's always present wherever you are. Yes, yes, yes. If you had to share a lesson with listeners, what would you say is an important thing they bear in mind in their own spiritual journeys? Take everything as it comes. Don't get upset with things. Try and stay calm and think of him. When you've got some what you think might be real problems, just sit down quietly and visualize Swami. Visualize him standing beside you or sitting beside you and talking to you and talk to him. And, you know, my wife and I have always found that the best way is just to lose ourselves in him and stay safe and stay careful and stay happy. Be happy. And lastly, and I think you've answered this, who is such a Sai Baba? Oh, he's, for me, he's my God, he's my guru, and he's my best friend. Best friend. Ben, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you for all your time and for opening up so generously to us and sharing with us your experiences with Swami, your experiences with Christmas, your experience in the organization, and those personal messages you got from him. And we really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Wish you the very best. And until we meet again, Om Sairam. <laughs>